Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. What are you doing? I'm trying to think how I want to greet you on this podcast. Well, how would you like to greet me on this podcast? Well, that's what I'm thinking about. I could say, (laughs) good evening, coach. Or I could say, hello, girlfriend. Oh, hello. That's better than staring at the ceiling. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to... Podcast number 44. Whew. We're rolling in the podcasts. We are. We're having fun with it. I didn't really know where this would go when we started doing podcasts 44 weeks ago, but so far, we haven't missed a week. We're doing pretty good. We're a little bit early this podcast because we have a busy weekend coming up. We do, and it's going to be a first-time experience for me. I'm pretty excited about it. And for me as well, and... You may remember we did a podcast a few weeks ago on ultra running. And so we are going to support a friend who is doing a 100-mile race this weekend. The Tuscazoa 100. So it will be a learning opportunity for us. Yes, it will. I'm sure we will have podcast material afterwards. (laughs) I'm counting on it. (laughs) I'm expecting my shift of pacing to start around 3 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm right behind you, so I'm expecting mine to start at 6 a.m., so it's all up to you to keep it on track. Keeping it on track. (laughs) Today was an exciting day. Tell me about it. Miss Ellie was in rare form. She's 18 months old now, and she has decided she loves little makeshift blanket tents. So I feel like I spent half the day in the dark today. (laughs) Underneath the blanket. Underneath the blanket. And I don't trust like the traditional home blanket tents with chairs and things because she's still young. So I was just being the chair and holding up the blanket so she'd be safe. So, yeah, my arms are tired and the baby was very happy. I tell you what has been really good with me and Ellie here lately is when I get through working and and your babysitting, I'll go lay down on the floor and she sees me laying there and she just runs over to me and lays down right beside of me and just snuggles up. She can't sit still for a moment, but she just keeps moving around, trying to get comfortable right next to me and I feel loved. Well, before you went to work this morning, she was sitting in your lap feeding you oatmeal. That was pretty cute too. Yes. She was struggling with aim with the spoon. You took the spoon from her and took a bite yourself. And as you took a bite, she moved her mouth as if she was expecting that to go in her mouth. And it didn't. So it was, She really doesn't like my oatmeal anyway. No, but it was pretty funny. She likes to fake eat. Hmm. Yep. And she likes to really eat too. Sweet potatoes. <laughs> she does eat healthy. And bonsai chickpea noodles. Anything else about your day you want to share? Took a very easy run today. My uh, knee was a little bit achy after my tempo run yesterday, so I thought maybe I wouldn't run at all, but 
I like to run a little bit every day. So I met a friend, Beth, and we ran for 30 minutes easy, and my knee felt great. Praise the Lord for that. That's right. And speaking of praise the Lord, I've been just so thankful that I've been healthy enough to run the last several weeks, and and I'm in good enough shape that I can keep up with Jacob now. So he and I have run together, I'm not sure how many days consecutively. I think he's enjoyed the company. He's been running solo ever since he got too fast for me. Yeah, it's been good for both of us. It has been. Looking forward to many more runs and many more miles. And I've been meeting Bethany several mornings a week and running with her. So it's fun to run with her. And I've kind of caught up with her group a little bit that she runs with. We haven't, I haven't run with some of those ladies in a while. So it's been a fun week. Yeah, good times. One night this week, I called my dad just to check in on him. <laughs> because I hadn't talked to him in a few days. And when he answered the phone, he said, did Paula tell you what I did? And I said, no. When he starts his text to me with, I made a fool of myself, dot, dot, dot. And then he proceeds to tell me things. Then I don't necessarily share that because I don't want to embarrass him. Yeah. But you and I do typically communicate a lot. But this just didn't (laughs) get communicated. (laughs) So I told my dad that you had not shared anything with me, which was true. But as the story goes, he was driving down the road and saw you riding the bicycle and rolled down the window and being the comedian that he is, he said, you could go faster than that. And he pulled into the driveway and you pulled up behind him in the bicycle and got off. And he started talking to you and he introduced you to his girlfriend's daughter and son-in-law. And then eventually you told him... (laughs) That you had taught his grandson at Newton Parish Elementary School. And it wasn't until that moment that he realized it wasn't you on the bicycle. It was not me. It was our son's third grade teacher. I don't know. But he claims that his girlfriend thought that cyclist was you also. It was not me. I don't think you have a twin. I'm pretty sure if it were me, he couldn't have caught up. So tell me I need to be going faster. That's pretty pretty true. Just kidding. You're beast on the bike. And you know, that's just what everybody wants to hear when they're on the bike. (laughs) Yeah, he's a comedian. Mm. It's just like when people say, run, forest, run. Mm. They think they're being funny. Well, if uh, somebody in their 40s says that to me, I'm going to take a little more notice of it than somebody's in their 80s. I'm going to give the 80-year-old a little bit more grace. It's a good idea. (laughs) Just let it go. Yes. So we've got several topics that we've talked about covering in this podcast. Do you want to start with your topic? I can, if you'd like for me to. Let's do it. So let's talk just a little bit about swimming. We have a couple of previous podcasts where we discuss swimming technique and some of the things that we really focus on with our athletes. But having a conversation with another of our athletes this week... It just got me thinking that I think triathletes in general have a false expectation of what's going to happen when they start swimming. And I guess what I mean by that, if you're a new swimmer and you've finally learned to get your balance in the water and you finally learn good technique 
it's going to take a while. Like when you get that stuff, your paces immediately get better. But then once you get all that figured out, you might plateau somewhat. And I kind of wanted to put that in perspective because sometimes when you watch a swimmer, and we've talked about this before, it looks like it's easy. And so you don't understand why your pace is not getting faster. Because when you're running, if you put in more effort, more intensity, your pace increases in that moment. But with swimming, you could actually put in more effort and not really increase your pace if you're not doing it well. Yeah, if you lose your form. Right. Or if you just have an awful kick, you could spend a lot of energy kicking and go nowhere fast. Right. Our athletes who get in the pool consistently, and by consistently, I mean three, four, sometimes five times a week, which is a pretty good amount of time if you're doing all three disciplines, swimming, biking, and running, they are going to get faster because they're going to be working the drills and working the form and continuing to improve their form. But at the same time, form is not all there is to swimming. There is also fitness. So your fitness has to improve. But as a runner, if we have an athlete, let's say he averages 830 per mile, and what would you say a decent pro athlete triathlon marathon pace would be for a full distance mm-hmm. i'd say somewhere under six minutes a mile yeah so let's just make it easy and say our athletes run in nine minutes and they notice that a pro athlete is running around a six minute mile pace i mean they are going to be excited just to get a little bit of gain like to get to a 850 pace instead of a nine minute pace or edging down but it takes a lot of work yes and endurance it does. to do that so in swimming i did a little research and so if you talk about and i'm only talking about triathlon here and specifically i'm going to talk about iron man but i looked up the top american man iron man swim right now who is timothy o'donnell He's currently the fastest American. Now, there are faster swimmers, but we're just talking about Americans in, an, in a full-distance Ironman. He swam it in 47.38. So he's averaging about a 1 minute 7 second per 100. Are we talking about Kona? I believe this was in Kona. Okay. But I just pulled his fastest iron distance, and I think this one happened to be yeah. Kona. And 107 is fast. Yeah, I would say 107 is fast. Would you care to guess what the, across a bunch of Ironman events and all the men finishers, what the average per 100 would be? Are we talking about pros and amateurs? Just age groupers. Just age groupers. I'm guessing it'll be two minutes. 203 per 100. Okay, so let's say we have an athlete that's currently going 203 per 100. That's only... 56 seconds per 100 off the best pro a- American pro athlete. So I guess what I'm trying... <laughs> this is a long way of getting about it. If you are frustrated with your swimming because maybe you started at a 2.30 per 100 and now you're at a 2.12 per 100, that is a big gain. That is a big improvement. You will get better, but you're not going to get better with one day a week in the pool, two days a week in the pool. 
Like you're only going to get better if you're focused on good technique and someone has coached you in what that good technique is like. There's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet. So first of all, there is a lot of technique to swimming. But secondly, just as in running, you couldn't expect to run one or two days a week and really gain running improvements. You have to get in the water three, four, five times a week to really consistently over time bring your times down. But don't expect five, 10, 20 seconds per month gain. Definitely not. (laughs) I mean, I'm excited when I get in the pool and I get a second off of a fast 2,500. Like that's a big improvement. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it takes patience. It takes learning the correct technique, but it also takes fitness, a lot of upper body fitness and just a lot of time in the pool. Yeah. And you can get a lot of aerobic fitness by running a couple days a week or swimming a couple days a week. But if you want to excel in either one of those, you've got to commit to it. Right. And we've talked about it before. You're going to make your most gains in an iron distance triathlon by being able to run your best. Like you don't want to bike slowly, but you don't want to overbike to where you can't run your best. Yep. Survive the swim, have a solid bike, and kill it on the run. Yeah, and I would go beyond survive the swim. And you're so swim fit that when you get out of the water, you've got a lot of gas in the tank for your bike and your run. Yeah. So we really like our triathletes to get in the water. But a lot of our triathletes are running background and the water is not their first love. Being a lifelong runner, my ankles are just not very flexible. And so I have a really hard time getting any forward momentum out of kicking. So I try not to do a lot of kicking because I'm just wasting energy. If I'm training for a triathlon that is going to be wetsuit legal, then I swim with a pool buoy almost all the time because my legs are not going to help me. They're going to hurt me in the water. And when I'm training in the pool, the pool buoy takes the legs out of the picture. I'm kind of the opposite. I mean, I am a runner, but my ankles are fine. But if kickboarding were a race, I'd be pretty good at it because I get a lot of propulsion when I'm using a board and kicking. However, same as you, when I did Ironman Louisville, it was wetsuit legal. And I didn't use my legs at all. I almost just pretended like I had a pool buoy crammed between my thighs. I didn't, but that's about how much I used my legs. I just kept turning those arms over and heading toward the swim exit. Yeah, the only time I would really focus on the legs in a triathlon swim is just before T1, mm-hmm. just to wake the legs up and let them know we're getting ready to go for a run. Yeah, definitely in the last maybe 25 yards, I really started engaging my kick so that when I stood up, there would be some blood in my toes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all that to say that if you're a triathlete and you're frustrated with your swim time, don't be frustrated with it. Just continue to hone in your technique. And the best way to fix your form is by doing short swims. Do a 25, stop. Do a 25, stop. 
so you don't have to worry about fatigue. Your form really breaks down when you're fatigued. So every time I go to the pool, I like to incorporate 25s that are complete form focus before I get into anything longer. Yeah, I'll mention a drill that, that I've done in the past that really uh, helps me realize when my form is slipping and that's wrapping a band around my ankles. If I do a 25, I'm pretty good about staying balanced and propelling with my catch and recovery. But when I do that turn at the far wall and come back to, to do a 50, I notice my balance is fading and my legs start to sink and it becomes a real struggle to pull because I'm catching so much more water. Exactly. So it's a good exercise to just do 125 at a time until you can get your balance where it needs to be. Until you get that habit of catching the water. And then you can use a pool buoy instead of banding your feet and Mm -hmm. do that same catch over longer distances. But if you're not doing proper form for a 25, you're certainly not going to do proper form for a 50 or 100. That's true. And the other thing, too, about binding your ankles, (laughs) it sounds terrible, but it's effective, is it does cause you to concentrate on catching that water and propelling yourself forward, but it also causes you to increase that arm cadence so that you can be catching that water more often. (laughs) Yes, I do have a higher turnover when my legs are banded together. Yeah, and that's how I discovered a few years back that I actually had a pause in my stroke where I wasn't propelling myself forward at all. And so I really started catching water sooner. As soon as that hand enters, you want to get into that early vertical forearm, start propelling yourself forward, get rid of the lull. Mm -hmm. That's about all I had on swimming. What about you? Do you have anything else on swimming? No, I don't have anything else to add on swimming, but... I'm ready to jump into another topic. Pray tell. Have you ever heard the saying, the right place at the right time? Like in the context of I was in the right place at the right time? Yes. Like winning the lottery or something? (laughs) Um, Or like being the one millionth customer at the checkout line? Yes. You've heard that? Okay. Well, you know, sometimes we stumble into something that's really good or could be really bad based on where we are and when. So timing is everything. And when we're racing, our finish time determines our place. And maybe you've got a goal to set a personal best. Uh, Maybe you're just trying to break a record. Whatever it is, we're always racing the clock. But let's think about time in a different context. Let's talk about periodization. So periodization is planning your training and racing to give you the best chance of success. It's about doing the right things at the right time in training. So it's easy to neglect the early stages of periodization, and that's your base building period. So we all like going hard and going fast, but you got to lay that foundation. You need a base building period. Yeah, and I think that that is the hardest period, especially for our newer athletes. We have a athlete that actually he's not all that new now. We've coached him probably a little over a year, and we started out with a base phase with him. And if they're a brand new athlete, 
it's not unusual that we'll nine, ten, eleven weeks of just zone two, building a base, getting the frame and the muscles ready for intensity. And uh, he would just get antsy and go out and run hard and then... He'd have a little setback because his knee or hamstring would hurt. And so it took him a little while to buy into the fact that that base phase and periodization is critical and should not be rushed. Yeah, exactly. You got to lay the foundation. Then once you get that foundation, that, that base built, then you can start working on some race-specific speed. So you're doing higher intensity efforts. Still doing quite a bit of volume, most likely, depending on what your goals are. But you start building in intensity. It's where it really gets fun in a different perspective. When you're in that base building period, I mean, that's a really good time for those social runs. As you move into more race-specific speed, you may have things that you need to do that really don't line up with your buddies. And so you may end up doing some more solo-type efforts, but... But it's exciting when you get to the speed point uh, in your training. And this is also a good time as you uh, are working through this phase to measure your fitness, whether that's you know a, a swim time trial or a FTP test or time trial on the bike or a really hard run. We typically like on the run to do something like a 5K because those are so prevalent and that's a good way to really challenge your limits and see what you're really capable of because of the excitement of the race. And then there's also periods where you need to recover. And this is more in the context of every few weeks, you need a little bit of downtime to soak up those gains. And then you climb to the next step in your training and then you go through a recovery for a short period of time and you keep keep building but you're not building in a straight line up it's more like stair steps up does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah it's almost a curve and you even curve a little bit back down and then you jump onto the next curve and then the next curve <laughs> yeah and then there's also another phase where you may be doing some some b races or some simulations and part of what you're doing is you're again testing your fitness but you're also testing your plans is your pacing strategy good is your nutrition strategy good is your gear ready to go whether that's clothing or bike or shoes or whatever there's a phase in your training cycle where you want to do some of those race type intensities before your big a race and then there's a period of time when you're trying to peak for that big race. And when you think of that, you may automatically think of tapering. That's not necessarily the case because you're going to have some really hard efforts to try to get your fitness to the maximum before you do a short taper before the big race. And it's easy to make the mistake of having too large of a taper and actually detraining. So you want to keep your volume and intensity at a reasonable level, but below what your maximum was to try to be recovered, fresh, and ready to go on race day. And then obviously you have your big race and you celebrate, and then it's time to recover and loop back around to that base period again. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss that, and I know that's been a problem for me in the past. I'll be so excited to have a great race that I want to jump right back in to a training cycle and build on that, but it's so important not to do that. It's really important to have that base recovery cycle. If you skip that base period after your big race, for whatever reason, you're risking an injury. For sure. So really two things, two takeaways from this piece of the periodization is for the athletes that we coach year over year or athletes that were newly onboarding, we kind of like to look at their year and not just think about what races they want to do, but what are some known things that are coming up in their year? Like, are they going to be switching jobs or are they going to be moving or... Are their kids going to be involved in something that's going to keep them really busy? And so we like to find their A race that would be at the end of a block of time, which would be most advantageous for their work and family and life balance to make their intense training phase work with that schedule. And then when things are really busy, that's when they can do their base phase that takes less time and less energy. So there's that piece of periodization is, okay, these weeks are going to be the base. These weeks are going to be the bill. These weeks are going to be like an overall look. And then after that, our athletes really don't have to worry about in their training cycle what periodization looks like. Because in a 16, let's just say in a 16-week, 20-week block leading up to a big event, like an Ironman or a half Ironman or a marathon, we look at how they are handling the load and can make decisions on how many weeks we want them to build versus recover in that training cycle. And that varies athlete to athlete and week to week per athlete. We may develop a pattern of building with an athlete for three weeks and recovering one week. But if we see something in week two that indicates the athlete is exhausted, we'll mix things up. Yeah. And I think also we help them realize that because they're consistent, then, hey, missing this workout is not going to be a deal breaker for a great race. Like, get your rest because the last thing you want to do is get to the starting line overtrained and exhausted. Get to the starting line healthy. And fresh. Fresh. So as you move through the different phases of periodization, you also need to think about your nutrition. You always want to eat healthy, but you need to think about your caloric intake, and that should correspond to the the volume of training that you're doing. There was uh, an athlete that commented this week that when he trained for a marathon a while back, he gained 10 pounds. Because of his appetite from the exercise he was doing, his caloric intake was more than the calories he was burning in training. And so that's a hard thing to adjust to, but it also comes down to what foods are you consuming because you can get full on low-calorie foods just like you can on high-calorie foods. Right. And that's why I think tools like MyFitnessPal are so useful is you can figure out what your base number of calories you should eat per day if you're doing no exercise. 
and still you want to think about what those calories are and make sure you get the percentage of protein you need, the percentage of carbs you need, and that type of thing. So you get that baseline, and then as your intensity increases, you just make tweaks and adjustments to fit the level of activity that you're doing. Not only calorie-wise, but also adjusting your macros to fuel your sport. Yeah, the ratio of your carbs and fats and proteins may need to change as your type of workouts change from comfortable to intense. So another aspect of periodization has to do with your mental health. Nobody wants to get burned out on the endurance sports and endurance training that we love, but your mind needs a break every once in a while. And those base building periods are a really good time just to relax the mind, take some stress off of nailing the next workout, and just uh, really set yourself up for the excitement of running, riding, or swimming faster in the future. Yeah, for me, I don't feel like I need as much of a mental break from running, but sometimes it does me a world of good to take a little bit of a mental break from swimming just because there's so much thought for me in getting that form focused correctly. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard to have your foot on the gas all the time. Sometimes you just need to take a break and your body may start aching or you just may have constant fatigue and that's a good time to think about easing off and giving yourself a little bit of a break. Well, and I think it's good too to have those down times, especially if you're just having an addictive personality where you just love Ironman and you have to train for iron distance all the time. If you have other responsibilities and other people who like to spend time with you, then those aspects of your life can definitely be overlooked and become out of balance quickly. So it's definitely good to step back and think, okay, is triathlon healthy and productive in my overall life or am I making it an idol in my life? Is it becoming too too significant in my life? Yeah. Yeah, so another way to satisfy that craving would be to do a race and just take it easy. How hard would that be? Would that be difficult for you? To take it easy in a race? Yeah. I don't know. I think it it was hard for me when I was coming off of a running injury and I was training for or about to train for Ironman Louisville. It was hard for me when you had me just do the swim and bike in the try Louisville Olympic distance and then only let me do a mile and a half of the run. Like it was really hard to pull out of that. So I guess in that aspect it was difficult, but I think the easiest way for me to take it easy in a race is being a pacer. So in the local Wendell Foster Center half that's coming up in November, I'm going to do the 205 pace group. So that'll definitely just be an easy, good time and Just a time to encourage others to try to meet that goal. Yeah, and that's a great way to 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 fuel that hunger for that race experience by doing something easy and encouraging others. Well, and the other positive to that is it's also helped me to right now keep my training cycle fairly easy because I've made that commitment and I don't want to do anything to risk injury between now and then so that I wouldn't be able to pace for that race. 
So if you have trouble going easier, volunteer for a pace group that's way slower than you're accustomed to racing and make that your recovery training block. Another way to fuel that craving for intensity or racing is to volunteer at a race. Races are always in need of extra volunteers and that's certainly one way to build your excitement for your next training block is to watch other people putting it on the line and helping them. So I guess just to recap on periodization, you know, don't neglect the base building period. Nice, easy volume, working on technique, getting a mental break, and then move into some more intense race-specific stuff. Have recovery periods throughout that cycle. Test your fitness occasionally. Do some B races. Celebrate your A race. And then start back at the beginning again with a mental break and base building. Sounds like a plan. So for our scripture in this podcast, it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.